And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer and college football writer for The Athletic, joined once again by Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Pod. Carlos, it's Wednesday, February 28th, right around 1 o'clock, and uh, we're less than a week away from the start of uh, spring football at the University of Miami. You and I haven't done a few, uh, show in here in a few weeks. A couple things have happened. Miami hired a new running backs coach. Uh, Matt Merritt comes over from USF. They hired a new cornerbacks coach because Jamila Dye went to uh, the NFL. Chevis Jackson, they hired him, uh, who was over at Marshall before with Lance Guidry. So a couple of minor moves. And then, of course, Alonzo Highsmith goes to join the New England Patriots. Um, I've been, if you notice, my face is really red because I've been coaching soccer and playing a whole lot of pickleball during these uh, easy months. Uh, Carlos, you are exhausted with tax season. How are you doing? How are you? How's how's the off season been so far for you, brother? <clears throat> for me, that is not the off season. For me, this is peak <laughs> season. This is the season that kicks my ass. But hey, man, I, I'm just glad you took time out of your busy schedule. You are a pickleball maven now, finishing second in your last tournament. You are the Ted Lasso of the girls' youth soccer league. Yes, in, uh, in Miramar. So, listen, I'm just happy to be on the show uh, with such an accomplished guy. As I try to. Forge ahead during tax season by drinking 19 coladas a day. Uh, but I still look fresh in the MIL dig here. Yes, you don't, do. Don't, don't slip. That's correct. Uh, and, and you forgot to mention, Carlos, since, you, since you're so complimentary of me, that I made my ESPN Plus debut uh, a week ago when you I did. got to uh, do the FIU men's basketball game against Liberty. I will be doing a couple more uh, games, baseball, softball, some more ESPN action over there. So I, I had fun. I, I can tell you this. It's not like podcasting. It, there's a cadence. You have a director in your ear. Here, you and I just get to talk crap and and, and yeah. have fun. It's like professional and organized, the, the total opposite of what we do. <laughs> and, hey, it's good for you to move. You moved on up from the Ocho, and now you're on ESPN+. Plus. Hey, man, this week you're mopping floors. Next week it's the fries. Yeah, it's uh, it feels good to uh, to get my face on TV and to, and to do that. I thought uh, you know the people I was working with over at FIU they do a tremendous job. AJ Ricketts was uh, the guy I did the broadcast with. He is super. I mean, he, he's a UM graduate. Uh, you know, early 30s. He's been at this for a while and uh, really really talented dude. So uh, I'll get a chance to work with him again as well here in the future. Um, anyway, I, I got a couple. I mean, look, camp season is in full swing, Carlos. I'm gonna be busy this week. I'm leaving tomorrow. For Bradenton, I'm going to IMG Academy's Pro Day. Uh, so we'll get a chance to see all of the best players at IMG Academy up close tomorrow. I'll do some interviews. Sunday is the Miami Under Armour camp. So from a recruiting um, and high school football perspective, this thing's getting rolling here. And then we're going to have Miami starting camp on Monday. And obviously, there's a lot to talk about. I come, out, I came out with a couple of articles here in the, in the, in the last uh, week or two. I'm going to have another one sort of previewing the start of camp. But... Uh, looking at the 11 best uh, roster additions, and uh, the other one was uh, the 24 best returning players. I don't know if you got a chance to check it out or not. Yeah. Um, I want to get into that a little bit in, in a minute. We're also going to get to a mailbag. we got a loaded mailbag that's going to lead us to uh, a lot of different topics. But let's start here, Carlos. Camp is starting Monday. What are the three biggest questions on your mind following this offseason after you've seen them make some of these roster changes? What are the when you when you think about this team, what 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 is on your mind uh, in terms of the most important things you're looking for? Yeah, I think for me, number one is is Cam Ward an upgrade at quarterback, right? Is he gonna be the steadying force you need a quarterback? Is he the is gonna be the playmaker you need? Um, so is he the guy, basically? Uh, that's number one to me. Number two is, you know, how do you replace James Williams and Cam Kitchens on the back end? Who's doing that? How's that looking? Because that's very important. I'd say that's even more important in the corner because, you know, great safeties can erase mistakes by corners. Um, that only strengthens the secondary. So it's very important. 
And number three to me, which might not be number one on a lot of people's list or number three on a lot of people's list, is uh, how do you replace Matt Lee, right? Mm -hmm. Can you do that at center? Is this going to be an easy transition? Are you going to upgrade? Are you going to downgrade? Or are you at least going to stay level? How does that work out? Because center might be the most, aside from left tackle, the most important position on the offensive line. We're going to get into uh, all of those things, I'm sure, in the questions uh, that we got. I, I got a big mailbag to get through, so we'll, we'll address those a little bit further, um, Carlos. But I think another one for me is, does Miami take a step up, you know, uh, in year three here under Mario Cristobal in terms of, you know, you got your coordinators back. You only had two assistant coaches leave. You have some continuity. Um, you know, we're going to talk about that subject quite a bit here in a little bit. But let's let's jump into uh, the players. Uh, and the rankings. You mentioned Cam Ward already. Let's see how your list compares to my list. If you had to come up with a top five of the most impactful players, guys that you're most excited about aside from Cam Ward, who would be next on the Carlos Ledo list of roster additions? Yeah, I think, you know, being that he's number two on your list, I believe, on the, uh, the new additions, Mish Powell to me is going to be very interesting as to see how he um, – transitions over to the University of Miami, what he does is safety, what kind of a steadying force he is back there for the Hurricanes. You know, he may not be as talented as as a James Williams physically um, or maybe even as, as touted as Cam Kitchens, but can he be the kind of leader and mistake-free player that you need back there in the secondary to lead these young guys? Um, I think that's important to me. Also, I mean, again, like like I mentioned, Zach Carpenter, what, what is he going to look like, right? To me, he's going to be very important for that offensive line. The center is the guy that makes all the calls. The center is the guy that gets everybody in order. You saw how good Matt Lee was last year, not just from a leadership perspective, but also, you know, athletically, he was a guy that could pull, get around the edge. You constantly saw him blocking downfield, being physical, being aggressive. You clearly saw that he cared. So that, to me, was important. I think it's very interesting that you had – uh, on the list of new additions back-to-back, -back, the two defensive tackles, C.J. Clark and Marley Cook, I think those mm -hmm. two are going to be important because as we talked about a lot last year, I think Miami was light in the ass when it came to defensive tackle, and I think these two guys help that. They're bigger dudes, you know, guys that you plug in there in the one technique that could eat up gaps, eat up blocks, and allow guys to run free. Uh, and, I mean, to me, Kiko uh, Mauano is, is very important. He's He's probably... Uh, if not the best, one of the the best defensive players on the team, and he's he was a great addition last year. He's a steadying force at linebacker. He's the best linebacker they've had here at the University of Miami, you know, since Shaq and uh, Michael Pickney. So I think it's important that uh, he have another big season for the Hurricanes to be a steadying force there at linebacker. Um, you know, aside from him, I think Zaquan Patterson also is going to be important. We got to see he's probably going to start maybe at safety um, alongside Mish Powell. Can he handle that as a freshman? How quickly can he get amped up? Can he be the next Camp Kitchens? I think that's all important to me. And from there on out, man, I think, uh, you know, of course, can Mark Fletcher take that next step as a running back to me? Mm -hmm. Can he be the number one guy instead of splitting carries with other dudes? Can he be the main focus of the offense as a running back? Can they get him involved in the passing game as well? And can they actually develop a tight end now? That's a big question for me. But I think those guys are the ones that I'm looking forward to seeing that I think are going to be very impactful. Yeah, and, and for the new additions, I I had Elijah Alston, the edge rusher from Marshall, uh, in my top uh, three. You mentioned Cook and Clark, uh, the D tackles. I had them fifth and sixth. Zach Carpenter fourth, uh, and second. Mish Powell, uh, of course, number one. Cam Ward, and then among the freshmen, um, well, the another important guy at DB, Savion Riley from Vanderbilt. Mm -hmm. He'll be somebody to watch. You mentioned Patterson, uh, JoJo Trader, wide receiver. Uh, Nye Carr, the other freshman receiver, and then Justin Scott, uh, the defensive lineman who won't be getting here till the summertime, but he's a five-star top 10 recruit in the country. Um, those were my 11 new additions to watch. And then in terms of guys that were returning, this is how I ranked them. You can go check out the full article at theathletic.com. But number one, I had Ruben Bain, two, Kiko Mauinoa, uh, three, Xavier Restrepo, four, Jalen Rivers, five, and as Cooper, six, CC Mauinoa. Uh, seven, uh, Mark Fletcher, eighth, Jacoby George, ninth, Akeem Mesador, and 10th, Jared Harrison Hunt. Again, the full top 24 is available for you there. Um, Carlos, I, w when you look at this roster, I mean, uh, some odds makers out in Las Vegas have already said that this team is, is nine and a half wins, uh, is, is sort of the mark, I think, from, from a fan expectations. Uh, they want to see this team win uh, 10 games. We still got a long way to go before August 31st against Florida. But on paper, um, knowing what you know about this roster, knowing Cam Ward is the quarterback, knowing the coordinators are back and Miami didn't lose Lance Gidry to another school and 
you know, they, they have some continuity right now. After these two months of the off season, you've seen what they've done in the portal. What does your gut tell you? Are you at nine and a half wins, 10 wins? Uh, are you, are you below that number? Yeah. I mean, I'm right at nine wins right now. I, mm-hmm. I've got to see it to believe it. Right. We got to see what it looks like a little bit in the spring. You know, we got to see what it looks like when they come out. Uh, the first couple of games that were released, that first game against Florida. But I mean, as of right now, built the way they are, I think nine wins is fair. Just because, like we said, we don't know uh, what's going to happen on the back end of that secondary. We don't know if they're good enough at corner. Um, you know, they've added some at the defensive tackle, which will help. But how good are those guys going to be? Can they be impactful? You know, to me, the biggest addition on defense is really guys who are returning from injury, which is Akeem Mesador. If mm-hmm. if a Mesador, if you got Bain and Mesador as your defensive ends, that can be lethal. So that could help the defense a ton. Um, you know, and can can Cam Ward operate this offense? But more importantly, will Shannon Dawson allow Cam Ward to operate this offense in a way that can make it explosive and can get you that thirty-eight to forty-point uh, game range? Right. That to me is the question. It's not just about the players; it's about how the system fits. I think Lance Gidry is going to do a great job with the defense because, as you saw last year. He's capable of adjustment and tinkering. He went to that three-three-five when guys had when he had injuries up front. He went to that uh, that that scheme, did very well against Clemson, mixed it in the rest of the way, and really used his personnel to his advantage with his scheme in that three-three-five, and then switching back to the four-two-five and mixing it all up. I didn't see that from Shannon Dawson. I saw a guy who was great at putting together an opening script that was effective, but did not adjust well in games. And as the game went on and things got tighter his play calling tended to get tighter and the offense got less explosive. So we'll see. I mean, and as the season wore on, we saw that the offense was less explosive uh, over time. And I, of course that had a lot to do with Tyler Van Dyke, but I think the play calling, the, the actual formations used, the, the personnel groupings were not creative or inventive as we've discussed a million times on the show. And I think that cost Miami a lot. I think if he's able to loosen it up a little bit, and give Cam Ward a little bit more freedom and give Cam Ward a little bit more to work with in terms of the scheme, I think the offense could be explosive. And then we're talking about a 10-11 win team. Miami uh, ranked at the top 40 in scoring offense, 31 and a half points a game. It was obviously a huge upgrade over uh, the previous staff, uh, what, what, what the previous offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis did in his one season uh, with the Hurricanes. Um, but down the stretch in November, Miami yeah. only averaged 25 points a game. They struggled in ACC play. You mentioned Tyler Van Dyke with his turnover. So really, I mean, you look at this offense and you say to yourself, yeah, there's potential there. Uh, but I will say I don't think the offensive line will be as good unless you have, uh, you know, two guys step up at, between left guard and center. You got Zach Carpenter coming over from Indiana. You're hopeful that he's as good as Matt Lee or better, but odds are he probably won't be. Matt Lee, I mean, he was – one of the best centers in the country that's hard to replace. And then, you know, you have a, a guy in Javion Cohen who comes over from Alabama who started for two years uh, and comes in and, and does a solid job in that, on that offensive line, you know, and, and provided you. So, you, you know, those are two holes you have to fill there. And then receiver, you know, you lose uh, one, of your, one of your three starters uh, who transfers over to Georgia, and now you got to fill that need. You didn't get any production out of the tight end. So there's a lot of questions about the offense that will be answered during spring camp. And I think on the defensive side, obviously, it's Cam, it's Cam Kitchens and, and James Williams at, at, at safety. And then, you know, replacing some experienced cornerbacks, two starters, um, you know, in, in, in Jaden Davis, uh, you know, who, who, had, who had really done a lot for you, I thought, coming over from Oklahoma. He was very yeah. underrated, right, for what he was able to bring you. And, and, and you know, on, on a week-to-week basis to Corey Couch is gone. He's a 34-game starter. Um, so your secondary is definitely lost quite a bit. And then you had two linebackers who I thought w- did a nice job last year. I thought Corey Flagg and KJ Floyd were the sort of perfect plug-in guys. Whenever Wesley Besaint and Kiko Mawinoa went to the bench, they were part of that rotation. And and especially when Miami went to three, three, five stack Carlos on defense, and those guys had to play more, they did their job. They, they kept Miami in games. Um, and so you have two linebacker spots essentially that have to be replaced with guys that now have to step up, young guys that have to step up. So there's a lot of interesting storylines um, heading into camp. Uh, but let's get to the mailbag, Carlos, because there is a ton of questions that I think oh, is going to lead us to some interesting conversations before Monday. And by the way, I'm planning to do some more podcasts now Now that camp has started. We'll have some more things to talk about. I'll also be, like I said, we'll be going to IMG Academy and the Miami Under Armour camp here uh, on Sunday. So I'll be busy and, and talking to people with recruiting, etc. Um, 
But here's an interesting question to start us off, Carlos. Uh, this is from Brunswick Kane. He says, can you discuss the continuity of having both coordinators back and how that helps the returning players as well as the incoming freshmen? As uh, uh, I did, I did some research, by the way, I got a chance to do some research this morning on some of these. This is going to be the first time since 2018 that Miami has had the same head coach, offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator in consecutive years. I don't count Manny Diaz's last season. I know he was the head coach and he took over the defense from uh, Blake Baker. Uh, and, you know, some people were saying, you know, was Blake even really calling the plays? Was it Manny the whole time? Look, the bottom line is this is the first time you have three human beings <laughs> in charge of three separate jobs all coming back since 2018. Uh, and I did the math here, Carlos. Since 2010, there have been six seasons, only six of the last 13 seasons at Miami has there been uh, head coach uh, and offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator all back uh, for a second second season or more. Uh, 2018, 2017, when Miami went to, uh, 10 and 3, 2015, 2014, 2012, and 2010, uh, the best record obviously was 10 and 3. But in those other five seasons, only eight wins was the high mark. So just because you bring coordinators back doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get great results. So while it's nice, and while I think most people will say, hey, it's great, the kids don't have to learn a new system. I still think this comes down to those coaches doing a better job putting players in position to succeed. And it also matters who the quarterback is, because if you look at those six seasons, I'm going to read the quarterback names to you. Ready? Malik Rozier, Nikosi Perry, Brad Kaya, Stephen Morris, and Ja'Cory Harris. Uh, one of those guys was drafted. None of them threw in the NFL. Cam Ward, on the other hand, is probably going to be playing in the NFL one yep. day. So uh, I, what when I give you that information, Carlos? What is your reaction to it? Listen, it, it can't hurt to have the coordinators back, right? I think it would be more helpful if you had incumbent starters uh, to go along with that. So I think the most important pieces on the offense and the defense are, you know, the quarterback, the offensive line, the safeties, and the linebackers on defense. You know, on the offensive side, you've got a brand new quarterback that you're breaking in, so it's a new system to him anyway. Um, the continuity really isn't going to help him much. I think the only thing that's going to help from that perspective is that maybe Shannon Dawson's gotten to learn the other personnel better and mm -hmm. learn how to use them better. Um, and that will help in terms of how he calls the offense, uses personnel groupings and all that kind of stuff. So it does, it takes less time now for him to figure out, you know, what these guys do best and who does what in the best positions and what play calls are best for these guys in terms of how they operate. But it's going to be new to Cam Ward. So we'll see. We'll figure that out. I think we're going to have, uh, you know, obviously we've got a brand new center replacing the guard. But I think Matthew McCoy will be uh, probably the guy that's in, in contention to start uh, and take that that spot over for JV and Cohen. And he was basically splitting time with him a lot of the season anyway. McCoy got a lot of run last year until JV and Cohen finally got, uh, you know, he was injured a couple times and he, he took over full time. Um, so the only real new addition is the center, which is a big one. So the center's got to learn in the offense. So, you know, your two most important positions there on the offense, I think, in terms of where continuity would help. It's really not going to benefit that much. In terms of the defensive side of the ball, I mean, you've got your, your linebackers back. you got a brand new uh, group of safeties. So that's going to going to hurt a little bit. I think you'll be fine in the front seven. I think on the back end, it's going to be a little bit of a problem. But it'll be a learning curve. Uh, so we'll see. I don't know the continuity is going to be all that helpful in that sense. But I think Lance Gidry also, the same thing as, as Shannon Dawson, knowing his personnel a little bit better, knowing what he can go to, knowing that he can go to that 3-3-5 now, and it was effective last year will help. So maybe he goes to it a little bit earlier. So in that sense, I think it'll help. But I mean, the normal sense of what you would think continuity, how that would help, I don't think it's going to be that helpful. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I did a little bit more digging because that's what we do on our show. We don't just talk about Miami. We don't just talk out of our ass. Uh, I I decided to look up. Well, I mean, come on. We kind of do. I, I, I decided to look up. <laughs> Uh, how many head coaches are among power five schools? How many head coaches are in their first year, second year, third year, or fourth year plus, right? Obviously this is year number three for Mario Cristobal. Um, this is in the power five. There's 67 power five schools, 17 in the ACC, 18 in the big 10, 16 in the big 12, 16 in the SEC. You do the math at 67. Um, there's going to be 13 first-year head coaches next year at the Power 5 level, 11 in their second year, and then 11 in their third year. So 32 are coming back fourth-plus year, meaning they've had an opportunity to implement their systems. They've had some success because they haven't been fired, right? They're, st- they're holding on to those jobs. They've had you know four full recruiting cycles now to bring their players in. So only 48% of the head coaches um, – in college football among Power Five are guys who have been there four-plus. What's interesting to me here, Carlos, is the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator because that's what we were talking about here, offensive and defensive coordinator. Um, This year there's going to be 32 new first-year offensive coordinators uh, for Power Five schools. That's 48% of the total of Power Five offensive coordinators, new first-year guys, Um, 19 second-year guys, nine third-year guys, and seven fourth-year guys. So, uh, again, there's not a lot of continuity across college football, right? Like it, most most at this rate, I mean, 16 out of 67 are, have been at their school for more than two years. Um, that's that's astonishing to me, just the amount of turnover, right? Yeah. You, you look at defensive coordinator, 41 of the – there's 26 new uh, first-year coordinators this coming season – and and 15 in their second year. So 41 are either in their first or second year, uh, 41 out of 67. That's more than half. Um, you look at the the 12 playoff teams, right, um, from the last uh, three seasons, Michigan, Washington, Texas, Alabama, and then in 2022, Georgia, TCU, Michigan, Ohio State, and then 2021, Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, um, and Cincinnati. Uh the average year of those head coaches was the seventh season for the teams that made it to the semifinals. The offensive coordinator average was 2.7 uh, and the defensive coordinator average was 1.9. So again, does, does it translate to uh, success to hold on to guys for a long time? No. What, what college football is telling us is there's a lot of turnover and even the teams that make it to the final four um, are, are having a lot of turnover. There's a lot of first-year offensive and defensive coordinators on teams that made the playoffs. So it helps, but I think ultimately what matters more than anything else is the personnel and, as you said, their familiarity with the systems that they're playing in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like the old saying goes, like I've said before, 
It's about Billy's and Joe's, not always X's and O's, right? If you've got Billy's and Joe's, that goes a long way. And I think you've got you know turnover in your staff. You've got to deal with all that stuff. It's something that everybody deals with across the country, as you've said. But I think the best players will always make the best plays. So having those guys on your roster will make up for any lack of continuity, any lack of consistency, you know, breaking new guys in. All that stuff gets overcome by talent. All right. Our next question comes from Miami Hurricanes enthusiast. And obviously Cam Ward is going to be a big topic of conversation this spring. He asks, how does Cam Ward compare to some of the QBs we've had in the past 10 years? Tyler Van Dyke, De'Ara King, Jaron Williams, Malik Rozier, Nikosi Perry, and Brad Kaya. Carlos, as a former quarterback and offensive coach, what stands out about Cam Ward and how does he compare to the quarterbacks Miami's had before? I think in, in terms of his ability to throw the ball, I think when Tyler Van Dyke was at his best, um, we could all, you know, I, I know it's very easy now to dismiss him and say he sucked and all this other stuff, but when he was at his height, when he was really balling, you know, starting with that NC State game his freshman year, and then rolling on after that, where he went on that streak, um, to me, he was one of the best passers they've had in a long time here at the University of Miami, and I think Cam Ward's on that same level uh, in terms of being able to throw the football. He may be better uh, throwing the ball down the field, if you could believe that. Because uh, wise, yeah, yeah, Tyler Van Dyke had a great, great arm and was really good at throwing the ball down the field. I think Cam Ward's got maybe a little bit of a bigger arm, could really fire it down the field. I think he's more mobile, obviously, than Tyler Van Dyke. He can move in the pocket a little bit better. He can get you first downs with his legs. He's not a, he's not going to be a sprinter. He's not going to be a guy that beats you with his legs, but he can make enough plays to extend drives and to get first downs and keep things moving, keep the chains moving. So I think in terms of that group, you know, I think to me, it's you know, it's on that same level as Brad Kaya throwing the football. Uh, he's got a bigger arm to me, Cam Moore, than Brad Kaya did. But in terms of the, the production, I could see him being a Brad Kaya. I could see him being a Tyler Van Dyke at his best, made a little bit better. Um, I could even see, he's he's got to me like that Stephen Morris kind of arm, uh, but with a little bit more accuracy. And so I think that's where he fits. To me, Malik Rozier had a great season, but he wasn't the greatest of passers. And I think his the most important thing about Malik Rozier when he was here was his ability to beat people with his legs and offer that dual threat ability to give the offense a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, umph, if you will, a little bit more diversity, a little more uh, difficult to defend. So to me, you know. Eric King obviously was the best quarterback they've had down here in a long time all around. Um, Cam Ward is probably a better passer than Eric King. Eric King was obviously a better runner. So to me, I think it's going to be on that on that same plane. So I think you're probably looking at a guy that could be uh, slightly better than Tyler Van Dyke was when he was at his best. So you know you're looking at a guy that clearly has the ability to throw 30 plus touchdowns, keep it under uh, you know eight nine interceptions, and see where it goes from there. He could push the ball down the field. He's accurate underneath. He knows how to read defenses. <laughs> he can move the defense with his head. Um, I think, you know, Jeremy Marks Peltz, if anybody follows him on Twitter, did a great job breaking down Cam Ward, just a short video on what makes him special and how he moves the defense with his eyes and his head, if you want to check that out. So I, I think he has the ability to be a really good quarterback down here. But again, it all comes down to how the system fits him and how the system is called and, and used moving forward. Yeah, I think, you know, really, to me, it comes down to how, how do they handle pressure, Carlos, right? Like, because pressure situations, third downs, how do they, you know, when 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 the defense is putting heat on them or bringing the blitz, uh, you know, what kind of decision maker uh, is he going to be? You know, one the one knock on Cam Ward has been he's fumbled too much. He's lost too yeah. many balls. Um, you know, uh, that could be dangerous. That and that could be problematic, right? I mean, and and I think anytime it, you're losing balls, it's, it's problematic and dangerous. <laughs> and and if you look at him under pressure, I'm, I'm looking at last year's numbers here. Uh, when he was actually feeling the heat, um, uh, he completed 44.7 percent of his passes. I'm looking. Jordan Jordan Travis is the name right underneath him. Uh, in terms of completion percentage, Will Howard, who was, of course, another quarterback Miami was looking at, right above him. Jalen Milrow, right above that, 45.2%. Uh, four touchdowns, two picks uh, when it came to those type of situations. Uh, nine big-time throws, according to uh, Pro Football Focus. Um, you know, And then in terms of turnover-worthy plays, nine. Same number of big time throws as turnover where they play. So, look, I, I think Cam Ward is an upgrade at quarterback, but I don't know that he is a huge upgrade at quarterback. Right. And ultimately, this is going to fall on the shoulders of Shannon Dawson to create the kind of system that maximizes his ability. And one thing I want to talk about, Carlos, is, you know, 
it, it it matters, I think, in the grand scheme of things here. We've seen that Mario Cristobal isn't necessarily the best uh, recruiter of the quarterback position, right? Miami hasn't really gotten the five-star elite guy yet. Um, you know, I know they like the kid in the 2025 class that they've got. Uh, but in terms of like everybody in the country fighting for somebody and, and wanting that quarterback, Miami hasn't won those recruiting battles because that position, unfortunately, hasn't had a lot of success <laughs> the last 20 years at Miami. So um, Cam Ward is important because to me, uh, he's he's like a, a, a huge name available quarterback who was available and, and, and decided to come to Miami. If he comes here and he doesn't have the kind of success uh that quarterbacks want to have he does if he comes here he doesn't get doesn't get drafted let's say he takes a step back that's not going to be good for the overall health of Miami's yep. program they're going to you know M Miami might have to dip into the portal years to come and uh, not only from a recruiting high school recruiting perspective but uh a transfer portal perspective where so many quarterbacks get in the portal now it's like you got you need an example so this is why it's such a huge year in my mind for Miami to really make Cam Ward look good yeah, not only that, but I think Cam has the opportunity to look even better than he did at Washington State because he's coming from an offense that was a run-and-shoot offense that didn't really run the ball a whole lot. Mm -hmm. A lot was placed on his shoulders. He threw the ball a ton in terms of attempts um, over the last couple of years, and especially at Washington State. So he's coming to an offense that's going to run the football. So it's going to be balanced. It's going to be more balanced than we had at Washington State, so it's not all on his shoulders. And I think that's how you were talking about how do you deal with the pressure – how do you deal with those third downs? How do you deal with those things? You deal with it by having a good running game and a tight end that you can go to in situations when you're in third and medium, third and short, where you can use that play-action passing game and get enough, get enough yardage and have enough options right, and threats underneath that you can keep the ball moving, keep the chains moving. And then you add in a quarterback that can get it with his legs too, and now you put a lot of stress on that defense. So to me, Shannon Dawson has a lot to play with this year. I would still like to see them add a tight end in the transfer portal. I don't know what Elijah Arroyo is going to come back like this year following the injury. I don't know what those young tight ends are going to look like coming into this season. If you can add another veteran tight end that you could rely on as a, as a pass catcher through the portal after the spring, that would be fantastic. That would kind of solidify the offense and really help it push forward and really help Cam Ward because I think those are the two things they need. You've already got the slot receiver you can rely on in Xavier Restrepo, which will be a big help on third down, especially to Cam Ward. Now you just got to figure out, you know, that tight end and using that running game. And I think, you know, we talked about earlier replacing uh, Kobe Young. You know, you've got a guy like Nykar and Josiah Trader that make, maybe can be plug and play right away and be a playmaker for that offense as freshmen. So we'll see how that goes. All right. Uh, this question comes from Andrew V17, one of our loyal listeners. What position groups will you be focused on heading into spring ball? Do you have any concerns with talent or depth? Well, we, we've talked about it already. Uh, I, I think Miami's secondary isn't as talented isn't as talented as maybe you'd expect it to be. Yeah. Um, there's only six blue chip recruits among the 15 players in the secondary and only one Zaquan Patterson is a top 100 recruit. Uh, Miami has six blue chippers at linebacker. Meanwhile, and linebacker, there's fewer linebackers on the roster. There's nine of those uh, and 11 blue chip defensive linemen. So for, for an area like South Florida, for Miami, for you, for us to sit here and say, man, they've only got six DBs that were, you know, four or five star guys. And all of them were four star guys, by the way. Um, it's kind of surprising, right? You'd think it's it's a deeper position. But look, Michelle Powell uh, is proof that you don't have to be a big-time recruit to come in and become a good college football player. He was a walk-on at Washington. Um, you know, we will see if he lines up at safety or if he ends up playing uh, a nickel, which is what his primary position really was at Washington the last two years uh, when he started 25 games. So Miami needs him to come in and be very, very good. Uh, they need Savion Riley, who they got from Vanderbilt, and Jadaius Richard, who they got from Vanderbilt the year before. Both of those guys need to take a step up. So to me, I think the secondary is the one area I look at on the defense, and I'm, I'm a little worried. And then on offense, you know, look, again, the offensive line was very, very good last year. Mario has signed a bunch of really good players. Uh, at that position here in the these last two years, let's see these guys develop. Do we see a Samson uh, Okanlola take a step up? You know, coming off the injured list, is he ready to uh, you know solidify a starting spot the same way Francis Maigoa did? Uh, you know, does is it a is it a uh, Matt McCoy? Is he the guy that takes the next step in his development? Um, you know, I, I'm not necessarily worried about the offensive line, but again, it's a position group that I will be watching heading into spring ball because. Those were two very good players. Jamie and Cohen and Matt Lee were two very good players. <clears throat> and I want to see if those guys can continue to play at a high level. 
Yeah, and I think that's a great point to say that, you know, he, Mario's recruited a lot of talent. He's brought a lot of talent onto the roster, and now that talent is starting to age up on the roster, which means they should be improving. They should be showing signs of development. So the question is, have they been developing these guys? Are these guys ready to take the next step? Are these guys showing improvement year to year? And that's the question, right? That will help this team go from 8-4, and 9-3 to that 10-11 win area when you have those older guys leading the roster that are not just talented, but are talented and skilled and fundamentally right. sound. Because what we've had in the past here in Miami is, yeah, you bring in blue chip recruits, but then those guys never turn into anything or never grow past that initial level they show as freshmen. Um, this question comes from Armando Izagheri. He says, if you could pick one offensive player and one defensive player to step up production this year, who would it be and why? I'll let you go first, Carlos. Uh, step up production defensively. I mean, uh, to me, it's got to be Akeem Mesador because he didn't produce last year due to the injury. So I would love to see him go off, you know, having that combination, like I said, of him and Ruben Bain at defensive end could be lethal. It could be dangerous because Akeem Mesador is a hell of a player and he's very versatile. Um, offensively, you know, I, I need to see either a tight end or a receiver step up. So I would say Elijah Arroyo again, injury, lack of production last year. That would be the spot to me. I've got to see that tight end spot. If it's not Elijah Arroyo, somebody at tight end has got to be big. Give you 400 yards receiving. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the tight end, Elijah Arroyo, you know, from, from talking to some people, uh, they think he's he's going to be really good when he when he bounces back and gets on the field. Unfortunately, you know, dealt with injuries the last two years. But the feeling is that once he's in there and healthy, he's going to show everybody what he can do from a talent perspective. On the defensive side of the ball, I'm actually going to go with a young player, um, somebody that I think is huge to Miami's success moving forward, and that's Damari Brown, yep. uh, the cornerback. Uh, obviously, his brother left uh, to go to Florida State. We uh, I had mentioned to you guys here on this podcast that things were not going well with the Brown family. They wanted to see uh, both of the, uh, you know, the brothers play. Devontae ultimately never really got on the field here and did much. Uh, Damari, meanwhile, became a starter late in the season, and ultimately he decided to stay here uh and and you know continue his future with the hurricanes but they need him you know he's 6'2 195 pounds he is the big corner the big true number one corner you need to have and i think you look at michigan you look at alabama you look at texas uh you look at florida state who won the acc you look at all the top teams in the country last season carlos they all had legit, true number one cornerbacks, and that's what Damari Brown has to be for Miami if they're going to win 10-11 games. Last year, yep. Jaden Davis came in, did a good job. He was a, he was a good number one cornerback, but paired him up against some of the best receivers in the country, uh, like Tez Walker, and what happened? Uh, North Carolina was able to, to, to reel off some points. Damari Brown is as good a defensive back on this uh, on this roster as anybody, uh, if not maybe the best from a talent perspective. So they need him to play at a really, really, really high level if they're going to have the kind of season that they hope to have, which is 10, 11 wins and contend for an ACC championship. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And, and it's got to be you got to have that steadying force in the secondary at the corner position along with the safeties. And we haven't had a really big time corner like that that can shut people down and have a big time season in a while. And, you know, Tyreek Stevenson was good. Um, he he was one of the best we've had in a long time, but I think Michael Jackson was the last one that I think was really impactful having an all American type season then with a bunch of interceptions. All right. This is a follow-up to Damari Brown um, from Brent Peterson. He says, I know Damari's brother left. Is he going to stay? It seems like he might be starting in the fall. Yeah. I think if he becomes the player that Miami expects him to, and again, I think he started the last four games of the season. Uh, if he is able to start with Daryl Porter on the outside and Miami's able to have those two guys on the outside at cornerback, you get a Mish Powell either at nickelback or safety with, with a, you know, a Savion Riley um, and, and somebody else, whether it's a Caleb Spencer, uh, a Markeith uh, Williams, uh, Jaden Harris, whoever it is that steps up at that other safety position, uh, Jadias Richard, whoever it is, um, if you can have the two corners sort of be elite and Daryl Porter last year graded out really, really well, Carlos. Um, if they can have both of those corners play elite and it buys those safeties sometimes to adjust and sort of find their footing. Um, then I think this defense could be a legitimate top 20 defense because you have one of the best defensive 
uh, play callers, blitz callers, third down callers in the game in Lance Gidry, in my mind. And, you know, you mentioned Akeem Mesador, you mentioned Ruben Bain, Elijah Alston, the transfer from Marshall, uh, Nigel Lee Kelly's back. Uh, you're going to have some guys that can get to the quarterback. And so you just need that coverage to be able to hold up. And and again, uh, Brown, I think, is not going anywhere. I think he's going to be a big part of this this program the next two years. And if he's as good as I think he can be, he'll be gone after the 25 season in the NFL draft. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, I think having those pass rushers is going to take a, a lot of pressure off the corners. And having a guy like Mishpah on the back end will help as well. But you need one guy to be able to step up and be big time. And hopefully Brown, that's it. And Brown is the guy. This is from Buck Wild 007 on Twitter. Ooh, I like that name. That's a great name. He actually gives us three questions. So here we go. Starting five offensive linemen, then what freshman starts the most games, and then who shines this season that isn't being talked about enough? Let's start with the starting five offensive linemen. Right now, Carlos, game one at Florida, left to right. What is the starting offensive line? Uh, probably Jalen Rivers at left tackle. You're probably going to see Matt McCoy left guard, Zach Carpenter at center. Right guard, Inez Cooper. Right tackle, uh, CC Mauno. All right. I'm going to go a little wild here. I'm going to go off the reservation here. You ready for this one? Go ahead. I'm going to go Samson Lola, starting left tackle. Jalen Rivers, starting left guard. Zach Carpenter, center. Inez Cooper, right guard. Francis Maigoa, right tackle. Listen, that would be my preferred offensive line if it weren't for the injury to Samson Okalola. I don't know he's going to come back from it and be ready for it uh, come the fall. If he is ready, I think that's their best move because I think Jalen Rivers, is, as we discussed last year, is a better guard than he is a tackle, although he did pretty well last year. I just think their future is that, you know, having him at guard and Okalola at, at left tackle. I think Okalola is going to get a lot of work. CC uh, Maunoa is going to be out this spring. He's, he had surgery. He's one of several players that had minor procedures done. And, of course, we know Mario would rather have guys have surgery, get healthy, and then come back in the summertime uh, and be ready to go for the fall. So uh, my understanding is CC will be out. So that means essentially you'll have Zach Carpenter and Nes Cooper and Jalen Rivers, your three you know, sort of experienced starters, and then two other slots where a guy like Samson Okanlola can, can get a whole lot of work along with the Matt McCoy and a lot, you know, along with some of the other uh, young offensive linemen, including Bruno Kinsler, who I think is a dark horse uh, for that left guard spot if Samson Okanlola doesn't work out. Um, as far as what freshman starts the most games, who do you got? You know, uh, Zaquan Patterson to me or Josiah Trader? Yeah, I think those are the safe bets. I'm going to go with JoJo Trader because I've heard nothing but really, really good things about him since he's been on campus. It's not to say I haven't heard good things about Zaquan Patterson or some of the other guys on the team. I just think uh, JoJo is in an interesting position because Miami has a void at that number three position uh, at the wide receiver. Uh, Zay Horton is obviously the biggest receiver on the team from a body perspective. Uh, so he's going to get the opportunity, I think, to sort of take over that role for Colby Young. But uh, you have a guy in Jacoby George who's obviously gotten in trouble in the past. He's gotten some dumb penalties. JoJo Trader is as good an athlete as I've seen come out of the South Florida area in a while. And I know Jeremiah Smith was the number one recruit in the country last year. There is no fall off with Jojo Trader in terms of his ability, right? Like the guy can create separation. He's got amazing hands, um, super smart, athletic, fast, all the things you want. He is a legitimate uh, number one college wide receiver. I'm still going to tell you I think he's, his best position is cornerback. But uh, I, I think for this team, there's an opportunity with Colby Young gone for Jojo Trader, even if he's the number four receiver. Uh, on this team to get involved, get some work and become somebody who uh, nudges out a real, real, you know, sort of effective rotation piece uh, on this offense who, who who puts up some good numbers. Yep, absolutely. I agree. All right. Who shines this season? That isn't being talked about enough. I, Damari Brown, obviously, we spent a lot of time talking about him. Elijah Royal is another guy that we hope uh, steps up his game. I, I, I'm going to go to the uh, to the defensive line uh, with this one. Jared Harrison Hunt, I, I think he, he's sort of an overlooked guy at the D-tackle position. He started 11 games last year, and I thought he was really, really solid. He's coming back for his sixth year. I know Miami has other guys, right, on, on this defensive line that they're excited about, transfers that they went out and got. 
But Jared Harrison Hunt is pretty good at getting to the quarterback and and putting pressure and creating pressures from that from that D tackle spot. He's not huge, but you line him up with a Reuben Bain and you put him on a defensive line with Akeem Mesador. Somebody's going to have to get to the quarterback, and I think he's going to have a lot of opportunities when Reuben Bain and Akeem Mesador and Nigel Lee Kelly and Elijah Austin are all getting a lot of attention to get one-on-one matchups on the interior and create havoc. So I think he's somebody that Miami fans should probably be appreciative is back uh, as a sixth-year guy uh, looking to capitalize and finish his career strong. I agree. I think he's going to be very good. I thought he was very steady last year. Uh, to me, he played better than Leonard Taylor. I'm going to go with Daryl Porter Jr. I think it's a guy, he's a guy that's they're not getting enough uh, pub, not getting enough, you know, being talked about enough because he played very well last year. Mm-hmm. He might have been, you know, him and Jane Daniels were the best corners. He was right up there with Jane Daniels. He might have been better, more consistent. So to me, Daryl Porter Jr. in his third year here at the University of Miami could be the guy to be that setting force at corner uh, while Damari Brown gets it going there as, as a young guy. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, this question is from Mike Jones. I know we're thin at good wide receivers, but to send a disciplined culture message, would you put Jacoby George on a short lease, meaning one 15-yard penalty and he's benched? Can't let that dude continue to kill good momentum. Carlos, you're Mario Cristobal. What do you do with Jacoby George when he gets that first penalty? I mean, I, I agree. I bench him. Um, uh, it, it's just a situation where, yeah, you're putting a guy that produces on the bench. Um, you are eliminating a playmaker. But to what extent? If you've got a guy that's constantly making mistakes and costing you, costing you, constantly costing you yardage, and constantly, constantly costing you uh, drives, at what point does his his production is it you know does that not become enough of an ROI with the penalties that he's creating, especially if you've got guys behind them that can also make plays? So he's taking snaps from a JoJo Trader, a Nykar, you know other guys, other young receivers on that roster that can go out there and make plays. If he's going out there and just being stupid and committing penalties and costing your team, then you could replace that production. And even if the other guys aren't quite as productive, even if they're, you know, just a little bit less productive, they aren't causing those penalties. They aren't creating that havoc and creating those negative plays for your team and setting you back. So that helps. Yeah. I I don't know that I, that I bench him after the first one. I think I, I, maybe after the second one, you know, Um, but here's the thing, man, he's done it a bunch of times already. He had a bunch of games where he did it last year. So it's obvious he's not learning his lesson. So at some point you got to say, listen, either you do what you're supposed to do or you're not going to play. That's the bottom line. How many times are you going to allow the the guy to make the same mistakes over and over again before he has to suffer some consequences? I get it. I understand where you're coming from. All right. This is from Von Kane. I'm curious about the evolution of the offense. Uh, more RPO rollouts, et cetera, and any tweaks, odd fronts, linebacker blitzing we might see on defense. Continuity at the coordinator position has been rare, and one of the reasons I suspect for not seeing a ton of player development pre-Mario. Um, all right, I, maybe we see some more of the 3-3 stack. I think a lot of that's going to depend on, uh, and, and maybe part of it is Elijah Alston. He's the guy who's who's lined up at linebacker. You know, do you drop a Nigel e. Kelly uh, into a Jafari Harvey type role where Jafari Harvey's out in coverage what, or showed that he was in coverage before? Um, you know, I'm sure that you're going to diversify yourself somewhat on defense because you've got more weapons, I think, in the front seven to work with and some of those young linebackers that you want to get some snaps with. Carlos, how how would you diversify Miami's offense? Well, for one, I think you've got to use more per- personnel groupings. I think they got stuck a lot of times going with two tight ends, one back, um, 21 personnel, where you were going double wing out there and and trying to hammer the ball in the inside zone and just trying to go uh, you know muscle for muscle against the opponent late in the season. Obviously, that had some of that had to do with Tyler Van Dyke and the way he was playing. But I think you've got to use more four wide sets. I think you've got to use more motion in the offense. I think you've got to use your personnel better. I think... Uh, late in the season, 
They started to put Brashard Smith in the backfield a little bit, one, one or two plays a game. And you saw what he did in one game where he took a seven, eight yards to the house. I think doing things like that, where you're putting your playmakers in a position where they can get the matchups you want and get them the football in space and getting the ball in the best position possible helps. Um, you know, movement helps. You saw what the Dolphins did this year on offense before the wheels fell off. Um with their motion, with their shifting, all that kind of stuff puts stress on a defense. And those are things they have to prepare for and be able to identify what's going on in terms of where they're moving, where they're shifting, how they're matching up. And all that additional thought process eliminates their ability to react, right? To just go and right. play. Now they have to stop and think before they just go and use their instincts. So to me, the more stress you put on a defense, the more you make them think, the better. And that's what they need to do. All right, this message comes from Cranky Kane. Are we moving the goalposts for Join the, the year? Join the club, brother. <laughs> Are we moving the goalposts for the year if this team clicks? It's year three, and we've got a schedule that Manny's soccer team could go 500 playing against, plus a million-dollar manic quarterback. Soccer. Is it nut-dropping time, Cranky Kane asks? Carlos, well, is it nut-dropping nut time? It's been a long time coming where they had to show some models. Um, to me, <laughs> yes, it's nut-dropping time, but – you know, do we move the goalposts? I think at this point, based on what we've seen, it's nine and three, man. Um, nine and three, ten and two. If they really get lucky, or they really come out and play well, I, I, I they have to prove it to me. Yes, we can move the goalposts all we want, but ultimately, we've seen what happens with the Miami Hurricanes for some reason. They start off well if they're really good, and then they just start to fade. Um, you know, I've got to see it. It's been over twenty years. Uh, the only team that we saw actually come out and play very well was uh, the 2017 team that went 10-0, and then the wheels fell off at the end of the season also. So, uh, yes, I would love to drop my nuts and put them on the table and say, hey, 11 wins, 12 wins, but I'm not Kelvin. I can't give you that. <laughs> well, uh, Carlos, uh, the 12 opponents uh, combined record last season, and again, I know this is last season, okay, 89-66. and 66. Florida A&M went 12-1 last year. Um, they had a really good year. Florida was terrible. They were five and seven. Ball State not very good, four and eight. Uh, but South Florida seven and six. They won their bowl game against Syracuse. And then you look at the eight conference games: Virginia Tech, Cal, Louisville, Florida State, Duke, Georgia Tech, and Syracuse. All made bowl games. They all won at least six games. Wake Forest only won four. That's the only other conference opponent they have. So, on paper, assuming a lot of those kids are back. There's confidence in those locker rooms. Those kids didn't have terrible, terrible years, right? Like there's there's some ability coming back off of those rosters. Um, and and then in terms of like coaching experience, uh, there's only four opponents, uh, four teams that have either uh, have a first year head coach, a first year offensive coordinator, or a first year defensive coordinator. So there's experience coming back. There's some, you know, a lot of coaches. Eight of the 12 opponents uh, have a coordinator who's back for their second year or more, just like Miami. Um, eight of those opponents have, you know, second year head coaches. So you're not take, you're not facing like a bunch of new programs or programs that have to do a whole lot of reworking. These guys have been in place. They've been able to recruit a couple classes. So while I think on paper, it, you may say to yourself, yeah, there's nobody really hard on Miami's schedule. We should know after the last 20 years that that doesn't matter if it's not a big name. Miami will lose to anybody. Yeah, and and don't discount Wake Forest. You know, Dave Clawson's a hell of a coach, and they've they've been in situations before where they bounce back from four win seasons, come back to have eight or nine, or even ten wins. So the schedule isn't as easy as you think it is. Um, and I think until Miami proves that it's elite again and it can start start mowing down all the people they're supposed to mow down, that I'm going to default to this is a Miami team that loses at least one ACC game. They have no business losing. So I'm sticking to that nine and three for now. All right. Are there any talks of Miami trying to exit the ACC or are they okay with the current situation in the ACC? This is from FSU Zucci. Now we've got FSU fans chiming in and asking questions. Um, Carlos, uh, look, I, I know Josh Pate from 247 came out and said there's going to be more conference realignment. I don't know that any of that is happening now. I know Florida State, there's been conversations with uh, you know the ACC trying to negotiate their way out. Uh, uh, you know, they First of all, you know, answering your question, FSU Zucci, I will in a minute when it comes to Miami. I think right now with the way the TV contracts are set up, I would be stunned if Florida State is out of the ACC by the end of this year. I just I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're probably in this conference, at least for this year and the year after. Um, and then after that, maybe we, we get to a point where the Big Ten or um, the Big 12 is fighting to get FSU in there. It won't be the SEC, that's for sure. 
Um, as far as Miami's uh, feelings with the ACC, uh, I've had conversations uh, with people in high places at Miami, and I can tell you that they're fine with the way things are set up right now, especially the fact that they've changed, um, you know, some of the the money earning in terms of having postseason success and, and being teams that get to the playoff, et cetera. So you're going to get rewarded now if you have one of the best programs and Miami is planning to be. So look, it, it, would Miami prefer to be in the big 10 conference where they're going to have a much bigger payday? Absolutely. But I also think Miami's in a situation where if they were to go to the big 10 right now and start playing against that competition, they wouldn't be one of the best teams in the big, in the big 10. And and I know some fa Miami fans might find that shocking. Oh, what are you talking about? Those are all slow Midwest schools. Of course, we Miami lost the Rutgers, dude. You just lost. Big big e e exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, this is about building the program back to what it needs to be under Mario. And I will remind you that a lot of Miami success in the last 30 years happened in a conference called the big East. Okay. If Miami was playing in the sec or had, teams like the new Big Ten, like the, the new Big Ten has with USC and Oregon and Washington and Ohio State and had to play those teams every single year, I'm not sure that the Hurricanes go undefeated. Maybe the 2001 Canes do, but I'm willing to bet some of those other teams that won Big East titles in the past probably get an L on their schedule somewhere. So my point here is I think Miami is fine in the ACC. At some point, we will have the conversation about going to the Big Ten, and I think the Big Ten would take Miami. Um, they they want to get into the state of Florida down the road, uh, but I think we're several years off from that. Yep, absolutely. And, and I think it's it's a pipe dream at this point, but if it happens, it'd be great. If not, I mean, you've got to deal with it. What are you going to do? For now, let's just deal with what we got in front of us, right? There's nothing we can do but deal with the present. That's right. All right, and this is the final question from uh, longtime listener Sam Knowlton. We spent a lot of time lately debating worst losses in Kane's history since most of them have happened in the last few years, FIU, Georgia Tech, Middle Tennessee. What's the best win ever? Is it the first championship maybe, Carlos? What is the best win in Miami? All right, so here's, here, here's what we'll do. We'll do uh, what we feel is the best win ever, and then we'll each give our favorite win. How's that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So I think it's the first championship. I think by far that has to be the most important win in this program's history. It uh, solidified the program as a national title contender. It made it a serious program for the first time that to be taken seriously, it's a program that people couldn't just sleep on anymore. Um, and it started that road to the dynasty of the 80s. So to me, yeah, it's that first championship win. Okay. And uh, I agree with you. I, I think that without question is number one. Um, but what are maybe a couple of other ones that stick out in your mind? Well, in terms of my favorite wins, um, you know, one of the ones that probably not a lot of people will pick, but it was one of my favorites was the Cotton Bowl in 1990, uh, where they just demolished it was a 91 Cotton Bowl, but it was a 90 season where they demolished Texas. And mm -hmm. uh, only because my, my brother-in-law is a huge Texas fan and he was talking so much crap leading up to that game. He's older than I am. He was telling me, you're going to see what real football is now in Texas. And I was like, oh, my God, because he's from Austin. And when yep. the Hurricanes drilled him, I have not stopped talking about that game since it happened. Every time I see him, it's a reminder of what the Hurricanes did to the Texas Longhorns. And we haven't played him since, so I keep getting talk shit every single time. Um, another one to me that was very memorable was because I attended the game live, and it was a friend of mine uh, in elementary school who took me to the game with his dad was 90, 1989 against Notre Dame in the Orange Bowl, uh, the year after Catholics versus convicts, after that Cleveland-Gary fumble, and just putting it on Notre Dame in that stadium. Number watching, one, Notre Dame. In number one, Notre Dame. Watching Maurice Crum bury Tony Rice in the Orange Bowl turf and that guy not getting up uh, for a while. And just that, that stadium was electric, and that was the most electric game I had been to in my life to that point. So th that one... And, you know, I went to 2000, the, the 2000 game against Florida State where yep. Ken Dorsey, I, I think there. that might be one of the most pivotal wins in hurricane history because it solidified the fact that the program was back and that we're back on the national stage. All, all great choices, Carlos. I'm going to mention three other ones that, that stand out to me. Number one, uh, beating Oklahoma, number one, Oklahoma in 1987. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a very notable win for Jimmy Johnson. He'd beaten number one before. Um, beat number one Auburn in 1985, but Miami was coming off a tough season in 86. And then you go, you know, and you beat number one Oklahoma at home 
Uh, that was such a, a memorable game. Uh, and then I, I would say another huge one that that I think really helped get this program off the mat, 1981 against number one Penn State at home. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a very grainy footage, but you can go and find it. Uh, Howard Schnellenberger's first win over a number one ranked team. And I think that really showed everybody across the country that Miami could be a special program. That one sticks out of my mind. And, uh, and then, you know, um, Florida State, 1991, 17-16, wide right one. Uh, yep. You know, that that game uh, and the 87 game with Florida State in Tallahassee, those two games in Tallahassee were just the, the, the two-point conversion FSU went for them. I think Miami knocked the ball away. Uh, those are two one-point games that were just absolutely fantastic, two of the best games I've ever watched. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Those are great as well. All right, Carlos, uh, we've had a good time. Uh, spring football gets underway on Monday. For those of you who want to uh, read a little bit more about the Hurricanes, you can subscribe at theathletic.com. Make sure you follow Carlos on uh, Twitter and make sure that you follow uh, his podcast as well, the MIA All Day Pod. Are you still selling T-shirts? Yes, I am. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be releasing some new designs uh, thanks to spring football. A lot of people wanted orange shirts. And rather than just flipping the colors on the shirts that I put out, I'm going to come up with about three new designs to put out on orange shirts for you guys to take a look at it, see if you like, and uh, hit me up for a purchase. There you go. Carlos, thanks for coming on, brother. It was good to catch up with you and, and talk some football, and, and we'll be talking again here in, in the near future whenever you're not doing taxes. Yes, uh, hopefully I, I survive this season. Uh, I get out of it without uh, any any physical injury, like paper cuts or a uh, tunnel. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it works out. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's MIA Little. All right, there you go. You heard the man. Thanks for tuning in to Wide Right. We'll be back with a new episode soon. Peace.